0: Discovering stories of courage, determination, and hope. Welcome to Faith Radio's On the Road. Now, here's Ryan Thomas. Now, we know there's so much more to life than climbing the corporate ladder, but it's so easy to think at our more honest moments. If we had just a smidge more success, Things would feel a bit better, wouldn't they? Paula Ferris rocketed to the top of the television news industry as a celebrated broadcast journalist, co-hosting GMA Weekend and The View on ABC. But in the midst of the high-profile interviews and sought-after assignments, she couldn't shake a persistent thought. She was giving all her best to a pursuit of excellence in her career, but only had what was left over for the one she loved the most. Paula tells the story of what happened next and what she learned and called out, why I traded two dream jobs for a life of true calling. And thank you so much for being here today, Paula. How's today looking from where you sit?
1: The day is looking very pleasant because I got up early, I had a cup of coffee with my husband, um, we solved all of life's problems in (laughs) 20 minutes, and I, I had a chance to work out, which has been probably the best thing I've done for my mental health. Yes. So went to the gym, I'm drinking a fountain drink and I'm talking to you. So it's been a great day. And in about 45 minutes, my weekend will begin.
0: Oh, tremendous. That is a great day. Well, now, I was also intrigued. You actually mentioned where you procured the beverage and it was from a gas station actually. called, mm-hmm. it, what was the exotic name of the gas station?
1: Brian, I'm a fancy girl. I'm a woman of of extreme high talent, um, high expectations, and standards. So my my fountain drinks can only be procured from the Exxon Bountyland gas station in Seneca, South Carolina. Ninety nine cents. That's my limit.
0: I just if explored. I'm
1: really if if I'm really feeling um, like I want to go the extra mile, I'll go down the road to the QT. Ooh,
0: yeah.
1: I love fountain drinks. I'm a little addicted to fountain drinks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There is, there's something about drinking it from the fountain. There's a certain mixture in the concoction of the beverage. It's not the same from a can or from a bottle. It's just
1: not. No. And I will go to my grave saying that McDonald's has the best, I don't know what they do, but their fountain drinks, someone said they have steel tubes, which just creates more fizz or it has something to do with the blend or the mix. But their fountain drinks are awesome. And they're only a dollar. so <laughs> Won't break the bank.
0: I love that we've started out talking about this. I, I can't tell you how important much. Important things, Ryan. Is.
1: It is, is the good. important things in life. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Now, I understand in your situation, and I shouldn't say I understand. I sympathize in your situation. I don't understand but when you do a book like this, a release, you do dozens and dozens of interviews over and over again. I know the questions are going to be very similar and don't worry, they will be again today. But the first thing, just a little bit different for you, maybe, right, is sure. Have you've been on television, live television to Americans all across the flute, fruited plain for hundreds and hundreds of hours, right? Mm-hmm. It, so many things can go wrong. When you're yeah, live on television. Wrong. So what I'm wondering is, do. have you ever had one of those YouTube worthy moments where somebody loads the wrong script to the teleprompter? The people behind you are doing some type of comedic uh, sort of passerby drama. Does one stick out to you that you just remember?
1: Oh gosh, there've been many moments. I've had moments where I was so embarrassed where when I was pregnant, I lost my breath on the air. Um, that That was embarrassing and humiliating. I was pregnant with my third child and I was news reading on Good Morning America. And I literally, I was like, can't get the air out because oh I developed um when I'm pregnant, I get gestational asthma, which is fun. And then the asthma turns into a little bit of panic. So this particular morning I couldn't get my breath. And um that's actually how I was outed that I was pregnant. I was like, okay, guys, sorry, I'm like 18 weeks pregnant. This is probably <laughs> a time because <laughs> it was so uncomfortable. Robin was like, Are you Robin Roberts was like, Are you sure. okay, Paul? And I was like, You know, they had to take over for me um, for a little bit. It was humiliating and embarrassing. um, But that's the day that I revealed, well, I'm pregnant. And when I'm pregnant, I get gestational asthma. Oh,
0: man. Man, as a broadcaster. That was
1: embarrassing. I've never been able to watch it because it it felt so bad. And you know how often things can feel awful and you go back and look at it and you're like, oh, it wasn't so bad. No, this was bad. And I don't want to go back and look at it. So I just don't.
0: I completely understand. Well, again, I say I understand and I don't understand, but I sympathize in buckets with that situation.
1: Thank you. You can sympathize. I appreciate your sympathy.
0: (laughs) Anytime. It's all yours. So (laughs) you make a pandemic move last year with your family to what I understand your daughter has dubbed, not a small town, but a very small town in South Mm -hmm. Carolina. Mm -hmm. Coming from New York City, the speed and the pace of the life that you were living, that has to be a rather formidable life change.
1: Yeah, it's about as 180 as a 180 can get. We go from the bright lights of New York City to a very small town, less than 3,000 people in South Carolina. And the reason we landed here specifically is my sister lives here. So when the pandemic hit, we decided to come down to South Carolina for what we thought would be a couple of weeks. This was March of 2020. You know what's happening. The world is shutting down. New York was shutting down. My husband works in New York, and I was still working at ABC at the time, and they had told the correspondents and the reporters and to not bother coming in the office because things were really ramping up. So we said, let's go to South Carolina for a couple of weeks, only packed like four changes of clothes. We'll do all of our laundry down there. And we just got down here and really felt an overwhelming sense of peace that we were supposed to stay down here. Mm-hmm. And we weren't sure why. It's not like we had jobs lined up down here, or all we had was... Um, my sister across the street and a piece that we were supposed to stay. Mm-hmm. It didn't really make sense, but we just obeyed and followed that piece and it's worked out really beautifully. It's been, but just because it's worked out beautifully doesn't mean there haven't been pain points along the way mm-hmm. and struggle along with, you know, the, 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 you know, trials can coexist with, with the joy in your life. Yes. So, Um, it's reconciling those two, but it's looking back, it's what we needed, not what we necessarily wanted, but we're really grateful.
0: I really want to dig into that countercultural message that you have in this book of peace coexisting with fear and challenge more because that's, it's not necessarily fun to hear, but it's true. And I appreciate you telling the truth about it. Now, I think one of the real stunners for a lot of us listening, it was for me reading, who've seen you communicating so confidently on the news and our TVs, you spare no modifiers in looking back at your formative years. You say, growing up, my story was one of fear. And Mm. that seems so hard to believe, Paula, but I know you're not making this up. What did that look like?
1: Well, I think the... The great tragedy of fear is that we think we're the only ones. But yet fear and fear of failure is the most common fear that we experience as humans. But, you know, fear of making a mistake, fear of failure, fear of of saying the wrong thing. And I look back, I was very insecure, wasn't confident in who I was. And I allowed those fears to paralyze me from things big and small, not just pursuing um. Something on a grand scale, but something from like trying out for a soccer club. You know, you allow your fear, you you allow that thought of what's the worst thing that can happen, and you think about it, and you're like, okay, I'm not going to do it because it scares me off. Where you allow your fear to dictate your destiny and to dictate your steps. So yes, a fear has been a common denominator throughout my life, from when I was a kid to even when I decided to pursue broadcasting. And I said, Oh, I'll be behind the scenes. Cause I'm too scared of screwing up on camera. Mm-hmm. And then finally per- pressing into that fear. And after college, I'll go for it. I'll go for, you know, for being an on-air um, journalist and pressing into that fear. And when I was at the height of my career a couple of years ago, the fear of failure and fear of people saying that I was a has been that feed those thoughts of thoughts of that paralyzed me from taking a necessary step of stepping back a little bit to get my life back on track. So I, I think for me, the big lesson with fear is I think in the in the faith circles, there's this expectation that fear will go away or that we'll conquer it. Yes. And then the moment that it rears its ugly head we feel like we've done something wrong and we feel like a failure and and what I've had to learn is that fear isn't something that we're healed of or cured of or um, something that we conquer it's something that we continually have to press into Mm. and and normalize that we will we can have a peace in our spirit that we are supposed to do something but we can still be very scared to do it and those two emotions, those two tenets of peace and fear can can and do coexist often where you might feel like God is calling you or you're being called to do something or to move in a different direction and you can be scared about it. But I say, if you have a peace, proceed. If you don't have a peace, pause. But if you have a peace, proceed. And then the next thing, expect and anticipate the fear to creep in. But Mm -hmm. normalize it. If you realize it's going, fear will be present. God mentions it hundreds of times in the Bible. But he says, Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Mm. So he recognizes that it's going to be there. He commands us to press into it, but it's up to us to really take that first step on the staircase when we can't see the rest of the staircase, but Mm. to take a step in the direction.
0: That's the great Martin Luther King Jr. quote, isn't it right there? Yep.
1: It it. is. I love MLK Jr.'s quote about faith is taking the first step when you can't see the rest of the staircase. And that's something I continually think about. Oh, it's so hard. Mm. You want to take a step. You want to you want to take a step and you want to move towards that next chapter, but you're like, let me get a sneak peek at it first, and then I'll decide if but if I want to move in that direction. But that's not how it works. That's not how faith works. Wow. And it wouldn't be called faith if that's what <laughs> if it if it lived <laughs> up to our definition.
0: Oh, that's such a great point. We're talking with Paula Ferris today, the celebrated broadcast journalist, former co-host of ABC's GMA Weekend in The View. And her book, Called Out, Why I Traded Two Dream Jobs for a Life of True Calling, is just available in paperback. I want to dig in just a little bit more on your formative years because there's so much that happens there and so much that I think, even though a lot of us can't relate necessarily to being on television, you know, in front of millions of Americans, we can relate to a lot of your story in many ways. You talk about achievement as a drug, Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. talk about you know the struggle with fear that you've laid out so well. Really, your solution was just success, to achieve and achieve. Totally. But you say it's no different from any other drug. It's not the solution.
1: No, it's not. And because I, I mentioned I was insecure, I didn't have a lot of confidence. And so the thing that made me feel good about myself was accomplishment and achievement. And so I kept pressing into that. And I pressed into it so much that, you know, at the end of the day, at the height of my career, um, the the accomplishment and the accolade and the spotlight, that's what fueled me. I forgot about why I was placed where I was and work unequivocally became my narcotic of choice. It wasn't so much about um, shining my light where I was. It wasn't so much um, about remembering why I was placed where I was. It was It was about the accomplishment and the accolade and the achievement and the award. And so that's when I I was like, oh my gosh. But looking back, achievement and accomplishment are are, that's how I coped. That was my coping mechanism, for lack of a better description. It's what it's the one thing that made me feel better. And so naturally, I just chased that and chased that and chased that uh, to a point where I burned out.
0: I want to pick up another thread from high school. I believe it was high school. Mr. Barsoon, is that the correct yes. way to say it?
1: Mr. Barsoon was my high school drama teacher.
0: This is awesome. He sees a talent that you have for drama. You're not quite sure if this is what you want to do, but you get cast into this one play as the narrator and it it really unlocks something, right?
1: It did. And you know he didn't cast me as the actress he cast me as the narrator and i was like come on mr barsoon you're saying that i can't act he's like no i want you to narrate the story and so i would i narrated several productions in high school and i you know people ask me did you grow up wanting to be in broadcast news? And I was like, no, I didn't even know to dream for that. I didn't grow up idolizing Diane Sawyer or Barbara Walters or Connie Chung or Katie Couric or any of those uh, women who have such prestigious and esteemed careers. I didn't even know to dream for that. And so it was Mr. Barsoon who recognized certain talents that I had and knew that I was kind of toiling over what I wanted to pursue in college. And he said, have you ever thought about broadcasting? You can tell a great story. You have wonderful intonation when you're narrating these stories. You can grip people and bring them into the story. That was the first time that ever even crossed my mind. And so it's because of him that I decided to go into broadcasting Mm. in college. But even then, you know, he is envisioning me as a storyteller, right? As As a reporter, but I get to college and I'm like, let me just focus on production. Let me focus on behind the scenes, editing, shooting, producing, but not in front of the camera. I don't right. have what it takes. Right. So again, that fear continues. It continues to paralyze me throughout my life. Man.
0: Well, thanks for taking us back there. I love that. The understanding, I think, of the television news business and the entertainment news business looking from the outside in is it is so cutthroat. It is so competitive. And I'm wondering how much of that is accurate. And to the extent that you, you know, really, you worked your way up to where you got with ABC and where you are today, when there were moments of just, man, I'm just really disappointed by what's happened, maybe even wanting to quit. How do you keep going and keep yourself on that path?
1: I looked at many of the adversities that I faced early on in my career. I was hired to be a production assistant. That's how I got my way, uh, my foot in the door. And things happened to me early on, and I just said, you know what? I can allow that to break me, or I can allow it to build me. And I allowed it to fuel the mission that I felt like God had for my life in that particular chapter. And it fueled me and I and it motivated me. And you know, I I'm a firm believer, everything you do, work at it with your whole heart as if to the Lord. The only problem with that is you can fuel it and you can do everything with your whole heart as if <laughs> to yourself and to your sense mm. of accomplishment <laughs> so that's where it could go awry mm. um, And I think I, I think it's okay and it's normal to love what you do but but for me I was defined by it And so when I get to that point where I reached the height of my career in 2018, you know I'm anchoring GMA weekends and I'm co-hosting the view, I just really felt this sense in my spirit this piece that I was supposed to pump the brakes yeah. and then the fear comes back. Oh, are people going to think she couldn't hack it? Are people going to think she was a has been? Well, what if what if she takes a break? Can she ever get back in? So you allow those fears to paralyze you again. But I knew I needed to. I knew at that point, you know, some people, not everyone needs to to reset and blow up their life. Um, sometimes you just need a a little bit of a reroute, or you need to root in and create boundaries. For me, I needed to pause, pump the brakes, um, because my values were clashing with my choices.
0: We're talking with Paula Ferris from her beautiful home in South Carolina today, the celebrated broadcast journalist with us, a former co-host of ABC's DMA Weekend in The View. The book is called Called Out, Why I Traded Two Dream Jobs for a Life of True Calling, just available in paperback wherever fine books are sold. And you tell it so well in chapter one, the recounting of that conversation that you have with... Uh, I believe the president of ABC News, and mm-hmm. it's this. It, honestly, it made me a little bit hungry because the whole story
1: revolves around <laughs> this meal that you have—the burger and
0: fries—and I'm thinking about it the whole time. But it's it's epic. You tell this story, and just the nervousness that you feel as you're prepared to tell this this formidable executive, yes, your boss, mm-hmm. uh, that you're you want to step away. You want this to look a little bit different than it has. Uh, yeah. What I was wondering about yeah. that moment, though, it seemed to all come down to the word leftovers. Is that a mm-hmm. good way to say it? That you just felt you were giving the leftovers, even in this incredibly successful moment in your life, when you'd reached the pinnacle in so many ways, you found yes. that you had only leftovers for the things that were the most important to you.
1: 100%. And that's when I knew like the the who I had professed to be, my values, what was important to me. Um, they were being contradicted with the choices that I made, was making professionally and personally. So yes, my my kids were getting my leftovers. A, a friend of mine, Elizabeth Hasselbeck, says I don't want my kids to get the rest of me. I and my family to get the rest of me. I want them to get the best of me. And I do feel like we we put this emphasis on success and calling and go for it. But then you get to that pinnacle, you reach the summit, and you look around and you're like, okay, works awesome, but. My home life is in the gutter, <laughs> like how you know what good is it to gain all of that, but to lose your soul in the process and lose sight of who you are and who you're created to be? and so I needed it was at that touch point. I knew I needed to take a break and and to to pump the brakes, and that's why I had that conversation with the President of ABC News. The first line in the book is, "There's no rational way to kill your career." I knew that I was. Essentially killing it um, by pumping the brakes. And, you know, I had been the it girl and was getting great assignments, great interviews. I was on the rise, moving up the ladder. And then all of a sudden, inexplicably, I decided to pump the brakes. And so this is the conversation I'm having. And as I'm having the conversation, I'm like, what the heck am I doing? Like, I, God called me to this but now he's calling me out he's telling me to step back and slow down and so it's this angst and this it's this push and pull of doing something that I know I have to do but something that I'm really wrestling with and I was angry at God and I was frustrated that I would I would reach this point only to have to have it taken away from me to you know out of my it wasn't that I was forced to do it but I really do feel like God Made it clear I had to. <laughs> mm. um, so it, it's this angst and it's this push and pull and it's a it's a tough conversation. And I leave the conversation thinking, oh, "What did I just do? What did I just do?" So, um, but it's been a really cool journey of mm. God just allowing me to find out who I am outside of a career and a particular vocational calling. And and in 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 this process, um, just giving myself permission to different things in different seasons. I don't have to do one thing for the rest of my life. And guess what? It's not my value and my worth anyways mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So.
0: When we talk about these words and obviously the conversation going so quickly, you know, only several minutes left here. Uh, so basically, of course, I'm going to totally fairly ask you to summarize your entire book in three minutes, Paula, which is
1: <laughs> a totally valid
0: thing to do. Uh, but <laughs> when we talk about these words, you know, career, purpose, calling, What do we get right in a sense? And what do we get wrong? What's the fresh lens that you want to bring to this conversation?
1: Well, I think what we get wrong is that we initially and um, almost always relate career to calling. Um, What's your name? What do you do for a living? We ask our kids, what do they want to do when they grow up? And so there's there's this explicit and implied message from culture and faith circles that we're only as good as our job or our Vocational calling, what we bring to the table, to the doing, and I think we just need to contextualize it and stop wrapping up our purpose and our identity in something that's going to shift. Because we're going to experience multiple vocational shifts throughout our life, and so if we attach our identity to something that shifts, when that shifts, we won't have any idea who we are outside of it. And as someone that went through that, it's not fun. Um, so I think purpose, your purpose, should be. It should be. It should be um, single. It's never going to change. It's to. It's why you're here. For me, my purpose is to love God and love people. Before I thought my purpose was to be the best broadcaster that I could be, and you see how that skewed. You see how that's setting myself up for failure, and setting myself up for an identity crisis. So, you know, I just I really want to encourage people that there's so much more than what they do. And um, at the same time, give them tools to unlock and discover their unique vocational talents and gifts, um, what lanes they might um, thrive in, and at the end of the day, give them permission to try new things that maybe they didn't think that they were capable of doing. But all knowing, it's incredibly freeing once you realize, huh, my worth isn't work, my value is not vocation, my calling is not career, just career. I can take risks. I can try new things, things that maybe I thought I was ill-equipped or incapable or unready to do because I know that's not my worth. But if God calls me in that area and I have a peace, and I'm but I'm still scared about it, God, God will equip me, but I just have to take those steps. So it's been, it's something that I'm living right now, that I'm struggling with. It's not something that I've totally perfected, but I just wish that we would have more contextualized conversations. Around the tenets of calling and purpose, and not explicitly tie them to career, because I think that that's just setting ourselves up for failure. It really is. I, I want us to focus more on who we are—we were created to be, not just what we are created to do.
0: One more time, the book is called "Called Out: Why I Traded Two Dream Jobs for a Life of True Calling." Just available in paperback all over the fruited plain.
1: And if people want to connect with me, you know, the the paperback is out now, and the paperback's different. I wrote the paperback and I revised it from the hardcover because I got such great feedback about the hardcover, but I wanted to give people an opportunity to take this tenets of purpose and calling and identity and fear and take it to the next level. So I included a free discussion guide within the paperback. So it's a free six-week discussion guide. You can go through it individually. You can go through it with your friends, with a book club, with a Bible study. And then I'm hosting um, a called-out book club on Instagram From, I don't know when this is going to air, but from (laughs) September 1st to October 6th, every Wednesday, I'll be joined by friends and family and guests, and we'll go through the book together. It's free. Everybody's invited. So I just think these are really important conversations that we need to have. And I want people to know that I'm walking this journey with them. I'm trying to find my footing as well, but I want to be there to have these conversations, these really important conversations with them to let us let them know that we're all in it together.
0: Paula Ferris, celebrated broadcast journalist. What an honor to meet you. Thank you so much, Paula.
1: Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. God bless.
0: Thanks for sharing in the story of this latest episode of Faith Radio's On the Road. For more on today's conversation and the full podcast archive of all our episodes, look for On the Road when you visit MyFaithRadio.com.